All right, good morning. Next week, next week we're back inside. How many of you miss padded seats? There's going to be no ants, no bees. I don't know what you're going to do during the message while I'm preaching. Swatting ants and bees off of people and no mud. And uh, man, it is going to be a great, great day. I'm looking forward to it. I've enjoyed, how many of you have enjoyed it under the tent? At least one week. Most of you. How many of you can't wait to get out from outside, back inside? And we've got, uh, got the buildings waiting to get back in. What a beautiful day, though, that uh, we're able to end this on. And um, six months, can you believe it? Six months, and uh, we're still... Not quite sure how to navigate uh, every part of our life, but uh, I'm glad the Lord is in control, aren't you? He is in control. Acts chapter 25. Acts chapter number 25. The Apostle Paul is taken prisoner. We're coming down to the end, just a few chapters left. We've studied here the, the acts of the apostles. The apostles were those followers of Jesus Christ. The apostles were one that actually had seen Christ and spent time with Christ. Disciples of Christ are one that have been taught about Christ, but the apostles are ones that spent time with him. You say, how can the apostle Paul be an apostle then if, if he became a follower of Christ after the crucifixion? There was a time there that uh, the Bible says once Paul was converted, there was three years that he spent, and uh, the Bible tells us he spent, he was trained by the Holy Spirit of God. He, he was taught the things of God, and Paul is one of the apostles that uh, much of the New Testament is written about and uh, written by, the Apostle Paul. We've studied through this book, we've studied the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. As you read through the epistles that Paul has written to Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians and Corinthians, those are all places that, that uh, Paul visited on his missionary journeys. He's writing back to those places. Much of Paul's writing is when he finds himself in jail. He finds himself imprisoned. And he's, they're writing these epistles back to the churches, encouraging the churches to continue in the things of the Lord, continue teaching, continue uh, sharing the gospel. You know, the Apostle Paul, he thought in his day that Jesus' return was, was very, very close. And it's been a couple thousand years since then. And um, I believe as well as probably most of you, that the return of Jesus Christ is close in our generation as well. Much of the prophecy that uh, was not fulfilled when Paul was alive has been fulfilled, and, and uh, Jesus could return here at any moment. Much of what's happening in Israel. Keep your eyes on those things. Keep your eyes. The Bible talks about praying for the peace of Israel and talks much about Israel. Israel has become a nation. There's great uh, talk of peace with Israel right now. While there's turmoil around the world, there's great talk of peace with Israel right now um, in, in the Middle East. And so we need to keep our eyes on those things, keep our eyes on the Lord. Paul is 
is waiting here in Caesarea. Look, look with me in verse number one of chapter 25. Now when Festus was come into the providence, after three days he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Now if you were to look at a map, you'd say, how could you ascend, um, uh, go up to Jerusalem? It seems like Jerusalem is south of Caesarea, but Jerusalem um, sits on a, on a hill. And so Jerusalem was the high place that people would come up to Jerusalem. And so Caesarea is, is a beautiful, beautiful uh, city. How many of you went on that Israel trip? Jan, you remember Caesarea was a beautiful place. It was a place where uh, the, the um, Herod had built and right on the Mediterranean Sea and a beautiful resort place. Now, Paul was not staying in the resort. He was staying in a, in a jail, in a prison there in Caesarea. But Caesarea was a place that many of them resorted to, the, the, those powerful, those that had money and, and wealth and uh, those in political power would go to because of the beauty of this place. They're right next to the sea. Jerusalem was an important place because it was a place of worship. It was a place that the Jews would go to um, and worship at the place where the temple was and the priests were. It was a holy place. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Let them therefore, said he, which among you are able, go down with me and accuse this man, if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them more than 10 days, he went down unto Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. And Paul, and, and when he was come, the Jews which came from down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. They've got these accusations against Paul, and the thing is there's no evidence against them. And they're, they're trying to uh, uh, make up things against Paul without any proof. In verse number eight, while he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar have I offended anything at all. But Festus, I want you to take note of this verse. We're going to come back to it. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, without go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar." Now, Paul is able to appeal unto Caesar because of what we learned previously. Paul is a Roman citizen. He is a Jew, and, um, but Paul has his citizenship in Rome. And so the Jews could not do anything to uh, um, lawfully to kill Paul unless there was an accusation against Paul against Caesar or against Rome. But there is no accusation against Caesar Rome. He's done nothing against the Roman Empire. The Jews are upset because he simply is preaching the gospel. 
That's why they want Paul killed. We've seen that for weeks as we've studied through the book of Acts. And after certain days, King Agrippa, in verse number 13, and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus. And when they had been there many days, Festus declared uh, uh, Paul's cause unto the king, saying, there is a certain man left in bonds by Felix, about whom when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the, the Jews informed me, desiring to have judgment against him. To my answer, is it not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die before that he which is accused have the accusers face to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him? He says, we don't just kill people to kill them. There's got to be an accusation. Those that have the accusation have to come before him and lay out this accusation. To whom I answered, is it not the, I'm sorry, verse number 17, therefore, when they were come hither without any delay on the morrow, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought forth against whom when the accuser stood up, they brought none accusation of such things as I supposed, but had certain questions against him of their own suspicion or, or uh, of their own superstition and of the, of, and of one Jesus, which was dead whom Paul affirmed to be alive. Because I doubted of such manner of questions, I asked him whether he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these matters. But when Paul had appeared to be reserved under the, under the hearing of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I might send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said unto Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, thou shalt hear him. And so, here in this passage of scripture, in this entire chapter, chapter 25, Paul is in Caesarea and Paul has gone from Felix to Festus and now King Agrippa is going to hear Paul's uh, defense, the accusations laid against him. What they're finding from Felix, now Festus, and Agrippa is gonna find as well, that the Jews, the accusations they have against, the, the Jews have against Paul, there's nothing there of substance. There, there's no reason there that they could kill Paul based upon what these accusations were. Matter of fact, Festus said, I was waiting for them. I was listening and waiting for them. And, and what I thought the accusations are going to be, I never heard. Their, their biggest issue is just simply this. He's preaching that Jesus Christ is alive. He's preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only offense that Paul has committed. And these kings say, these rulers, these governors, we find this man, there's nothing in him to kill. The apostle Paul is, is waiting here in Caesarea to find out his fate. The Jews want him to be delivered back to Jerusalem. And on his way back to Jerusalem, their, their desire was to lay wait and, and have him killed. They've plotted to, to uh, kill him on his way back to Jerusalem. They asked for Paul to be moved and, and they're laying wait to ambush him on the way. But Paul, the Bible tells us, being a Roman citizen, he's appealed to Caesar. He said this, I, I, wanna, I want my case to go all the way to Caesar in Rome. The, the Jesus that they're in fear of is causing them to want to destroy this, this gospel message. Paul's not broken any Roman laws. 
And they despised Paul for one reason, mark it down here, one reason, one reason only, against whom when the accuser stood up in verse 18, they brought none accusation of such things as I suppose, but had certain questions against him of their own superstition and of one Jesus, which was dead. But I want you to see in this verse what the contention was this, Paul affirmed to be alive. Paul affirmed him. Paul could affirm him because Paul saw him on the road to Damascus. It was Jesus that appeared there before Paul. It was Jesus that revealed himself to Paul and not road to Damascus. And Paul is, affirms. Why does he affirm? Because he's seen him. He's not only seen him, he's witnessed him working in his life. He's not only witnessed him working in his life, he's seen the result of the gospel in the lives of others. Remember all through the, the book of Acts that we've, we've studied, the people that have come to Christ. Remember the, the Philippian jailer said to Paul, what must I do to be saved? And, and he was saved in all of his house that day. Paul has seen Jesus work. Paul couldn't walk away now. He's, he's seen Jesus and he's seen too much of what Jesus has done. Paul was told by the Lord. I want you to turn back just a few chapters. Would you go back as a reminder to us, Acts chapter number nine? This is when Paul was converted. I want you to stay with me here. Acts chapter number nine, verse number 15. But the Lord said unto him, speaking to Paul, go thy way for he is a, uh, a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. This was God's plan for Paul's life. All the way back when Paul was converted on that road to Damascus, the Lord said this of him, I, I, I've chosen him to bear my name among the Gentiles and what? And kings and the children of Israel. In verse number 16, this is what God says my plan for Saul is, or the apostle Paul, for I will show him how great things he must, what? Suffer for my name's sake. Paul was told by the Lord in this chapter, in Acts chapter 9, that God was going to use him in a special way and in a specific way. Paul's life now that he has been converted, was going to become a life of suffering. How many of you as Christians love to suffer? How many of you? How many of you woke up this morning and said, Lord, let me suffer? I mean, I, I just want, I want bad today. I, I, wanna, I, want, I want the car to break down. I want the neighbors to, to hate us. I, I want, you know, I want to walk out and I want there to be toilet paper and eggs all over our house because we're the Christians in the community. I mean, I, I, I want to lose my job this week. I, I want to be put in jail this week. I want, my, uh, I want my freedoms taken away from me this week. Lord, I want to suffer. The reality is it's none of us would ask those things. You see, there's, there's a prosperity gospel, and I've preached much of this that'll tell you this. If you get saved, if you trust Jesus, all of your problems are going to go away. You'll never have a problem. Just get saved. Give your life to Jesus, and your bank account will be full. People will love you. You'll travel the world. You'll never have a want again. You'll never, you'll never need anything. 
if you trust Jesus. And hear me, there's many people that trust Jesus believing that. But Christian, I want you to know this. Many a times the life of a Christian is a life of suffering. For every Christian, it's a life of faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Lord, for some reason, for whatever reason, uses suffering. I want to remind you, though, that it wasn't that Jesus came to this earth and was born in a kingly home and lived in mansions and lived, uh, ate of the finest food and lived in the, the most wonderful places and, and had the greatest homes and had the most wealth and, and uh, uh, was of royalty here upon this earth. I, I want to remind you that it was Jesus that was said of this, that he had no place to lay his head. It's Jesus that went to the cross and suffered for you and for me. It's the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus is because of his suffering. Jesus left heaven, perfection. He's in the presence of God. He's there in, 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 in a perfect place in heaven. And he leaves heaven to come to this sin-filled earth to suffer so that you and I could spend eternity with God. Let me ask you this, as we look at this message here today, I want to ask you, if we do suffer, if we do have to suffer, will you stay faithful to the Lord? I was appalled this week, I'm sure like many of you, when we saw, I believe it was in Idaho, Christians gathered outside singing hymns at the courthouse. While they were singing hymns, they were walking up to them, putting cuffs on them and taking them into to police cars for violating, for violating the, the gathering order that has there in that, that state. Christians that are uh, being told that they can't meet, that are being fined, still happening. Still happening today. There, there, there are still many churches today. And, and, and sometimes when you think, all right, in, in California or the East Coast or the West Coast, you know, uh, the, we can understand some of, some of that uh, uh, persecution. But, but in, in middle America, Christians are being persecuted for their faith. Paul is suffering here. Paul is told, though, when he was converted, he was told, Paul, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you preach to Gentiles. And we've seen that all through the book of Acts. We've seen that come to pass. What God called Paul to do is to preach to the Gentiles. And Paul's gone on these missionary journeys, and he's preaching to the Gentiles. And it's a Philippian jailer in Lydia, and, and, and these that uh, uh, they're in Corinth, and those in, in uh, uh, Ephesus, they're, they're being saved. These were Gentiles, and Paul's preaching to them them. And the Gentiles, the Bible said this, that they've turned the world upside down all through Asia and through the known world with the, the preaching of the gospel. Gentiles were being saved. Paul was told, you're going to preach to Jews. And the Bible would tell us this, that Paul would find the synagogue in the cities and he began to, to preach. And many, many Jews have trusted Christ as their savior. They have believed in the gospel message. And the Bible also says this, and you're going to preach to kings. And it's come to pass. Paul has preached to the Gentiles. Paul has preached to, to uh, uh, the Jews. And now Paul is preaching to kings and will preach to Caesar. 
the, the mightiest king of that day there in Rome. And I want you to understand something. As we look at what Paul's condition is in, as we find him in jail, as we find him in prison, as we find him, the accusations against him are, being, are false. They're not even true. Yet Paul still finds himself in jail. And why does Paul find himself there? And Christian, I want you to see something here. I want you to see past the, 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 the physical and, and the, 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 the first layer there. You say, well, he's in jail because the Jews don't like him. He's in jail because the Jews want him killed. He's in jail because the kings who should let him out, the governors, they're even saying that he's not. He's there because, because they're, they're keeping him there. I would say this. He's there because it's where God's desired plan for Paul's life is. And Christian, you are where you are at today because God is planning. His desire is for you. And many a times that also deals with suffering. Sometimes when we suffer, we say, Lord, get me out of this. When what we need to understand is God's will is for us in it. Instead of wanting out of it, what we ought to do is seek God in it. What are you accomplishing, Lord, in my life? Paul, don't be surprised that you're suffering because the Lord told you you're going to suffer. Don't be surprised that you're going to go before Caesar because you were told the day you were converted that you were going to go before kings. Don't be surprised that you're on the missionary journeys, that you're traveling around the known world and you're going through the, the issues and the problems you're going through. This is God's plan. Christian, we must see that God's plan for our life isn't always rosy, isn't always pleasant, isn't always what we want it to be. Oftentimes, God uses suffering. Being in God's will isn't always easy, and being in God's will is not always comfortable. And you know what, Christian? Sometimes it's difficult. How many of you are encouraged today? <laughs> I don't preach this message today to discourage you. I honestly, I preach this message today to encourage you. I, I, I preach this message to encourage the church, to strengthen the church. Because church, as we see the day of the Lord approaching, things are going to get more difficult. And the church has to remain the light as we see the day approaching, the Lord, the, it's going to get difficult, but we are called to be the salt of the earth. Things are going to get uncomfortable, but we are called to, to, uh, to suffer. We are called to, to preach the gospel. We're not called to give up. And I, I want you to write this down, please, someplace. Number one, in, in serving the Lord, it isn't easy. It isn't comfortable. It may be difficult, and it also requires, would you write this down? waiting. Now, how many of you love to wait? How many of you have ever gone through a stop sign because you didn't want to even wait? Would the police officers look around right now, please? I have. I, I, I can't tell you how many stop signs on the end of the road here that I'll kind of just, they, what do they call it, the California stop? You, you just, you kind of roll up to it and just keep rolling through it. 
I don't have time to wait. I've got better things to do with three seconds. How many of you love to wait? Nobody, nobody likes to wait. How many of you got in your car today and someone in your house wasn't in the car waiting for you when you're ready to go to church? And you just turned on the radio and kicked back and had a good prayer time with the Lord. No, no. You're yelling and screaming and texting and yelling out the window. Your neighbors are like, there they go again, going to church again. They're fighting. No, we don't want to wait. We get to the line. If there's nine registers open and we have to wait behind someone, we say, why don't you have more registers open? We don't want to wait. But I want you to know this waiting may be required. And I'm speaking to us today. I'm speaking to someone today. I would dare say many people that are waiting right now. You're waiting on the Lord for something. You're waiting on the Lord for something at work. You're waiting on the Lord for something in your home. You're waiting on the Lord. You're in his will, but you're waiting. Sometimes we think this, if I'm in God's will, there should be no problems. But I want you to understand that even in God's will, there's waiting. Paul, chapter number 24, the last verse of, of uh, chapter number 24, would you look? But after two years, and after two years, here Festus comes and he visits Felix. Well, Paul, Paul's in prison. Paul has done nothing wrong, and he's waiting. I want you to see in verse number one, now when Festus was come into the providence after three days. Boy, it took you long enough to get there. Now you're going to wait three more days? Don't you know that Paul is waiting? Don't you know that God has a plan for Paul's life? Look with me in verse number six. And when he had tarried among them more than 10 days, he went down into Caesarea. Here's 10 more days. In every single time we find this time frame, you know what we find? Paul waiting. Paul is waiting. I want you to see with me in verse number 13 of chapter 25. Look there with me. And after certain days, we don't even know how many that is. A little while. They're in no hurry. Here are the Paul's accusers and these kings and these governors. They're in no hurry. Don't they know that Paul has something great to do? God's called Paul, a great apostle Paul, to do a work, and, and Paul is waiting. They ought to get to it so that Paul can finish what God's called him to do. But I want you to understand something. Paul is waiting, and he's waiting in God's will. Paul is exactly where God wants him to be. Well, how do you know that? Because all the way back in Acts chapter 9, remember, God said, I'm going to have you preach to Gentiles, and I'm going to have you preach to Jews, and I'm going to have you preach the gospel to kings. And what is he doing? The more he waits, the more he's doing what God told him he was going to do. Oh, he's preached to Felix, and he's preached to Festus. Now he's going to preach to King Agrippa. He's going to give the gospel. And now he's going to go before the ultimate king here, Caesar, there in Rome. And he's going to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand something, and please don't miss this. Even in God's will, it requires times. Things didn't happen quickly for Paul. There is much waiting. 
hear me today. Waiting isn't a waste of time when you're in God's will. And I don't have the time to show you all of these things. You can do a study and you can really study through a life of Paul. You know what you would find? Much of when Paul was waiting is when God used Paul the most to write. It was Paul waiting there in, in uh, uh, the Philippian jail. He was waiting there. What was he doing? He wasn't complaining that he was waiting. You know what he was doing? He was singing and lifting up his voice and praying and, and praising the Lord. And, and it was when that earthquake came and that Philippian jailer got saved. He was born again when Paul was waiting because Paul understood, in waiting, I can still serve God. See, most of us think this, when we have to wait, we're wasting time. Some of you are waiting on the Lord. You've got a prayer request. You're asking the Lord for something, and he's not doing it, and you're stalled, or you feel like things are stalled. You feel like, I'm not progressing. I, I could be doing more, but it's in this waiting that the Lord is going to work with you the most. It's the psalmist that said this in Psalm 25, 5, lead me in thy truth and teach me for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all day. You see, it's in waiting is where he says, I'm going to learn truth. It's where I'm being taught. It's where I realize that you are the God of my salvation, where in waiting. And the psalmist said in Psalm 25, 21, let integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait on thee. You see, David is figuring out out who he is and he's figuring out who God is. It's in the place of waiting where this is happening. In Psalm 27, 14, the Bible says this, the psalmist is writing, wait on the Lord, be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. It was here that the psalmist is writing. That's where my heart is strengthened when I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm simply saying to you today that in waiting, it's not a waste of time. God may have you in a place where you don't understand. He might have you a place where it seems like you're in on a holding pattern it might be a place of waiting but it's there that your heart can be strengthened in psalm 37 7 the bible says rest in the lord and patiently wait for him oh listen to me it's where you find rest how many of you at times you've been so busy you've been running 100 miles an hour and you just can't seem to rest anybody like that we I tell you, the last six months, uh, uh, sometimes people say, boy, you've probably just kind of taken a break the last six months. It's been nothing to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's been a vacation. I, I mean, I'm the opposite. I've said to Michelle, and, and I want to thank the church for sending us away a couple days this month and, and, uh, or this upcoming month in October for anniversary. I've been saying to Michelle, I need to get away. I need a break. I need, I need just to get my mind off things. I need, to, I, need to, I need to rest. I need to get away. And I didn't know that was going to happen when we received that gift last Sunday. The Lord just answered that prayer. We're so thankful because it's in waiting where it seems like it's not a place where we can get anything done. The Bible here in Psalms says it's a place where we rest. Listen to me. There's nothing wrong with resting as long as you're resting in him. Sometimes I think we get so busy. 
this past week, we literally, my family, we just ran from one thing to another, get up early in the morning and just, just go and, and, um, appointments and meetings and dinner and Joy, I mean, just, just, just busy. We, Michelle and I visited a lot of, uh, uh, folks last week and just, just busy. And I, I remember the other night I pulled up in the driveway and Michelle was pulling up in the driveway and the kids were getting out and she got in and she shut my door and she went, ah. I said, what's wrong with you? She says, I'm just tired. I said, don't worry, we're going to a castle in a couple weeks. I went to Burger King and I got her a crown and everything. I mean, I made her queen. But it's in the place of waiting where we find rest. Listen to me, church. It's okay to rest. You know what you do when you realize that rest is necessary? Your strength comes from the Lord. You can't do it in your own power anymore. We all need to be humbled every so often. Just becoming a harder worker doesn't mean you're going to solve your problems. You can work harder. You can take on more responsibility. You can do more. You can sleep less and rest less and be proud of that. I'm just a workaholic. I'm just going to work till I die. Or, or you can rest in the Lord and be refreshed and renewed. In Psalm 39, 7, the Bible says, And now, Lord, what wait I for? He's asking this question. What am I even waiting for? And he learns this. My hope is in thee. You see, waiting on the Lord shows who your hope is in. My hope isn't in this nation. My hope isn't in this government. My hope isn't in this president. My hope isn't in uh, 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 man. My hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And waiting brings us to that realization. Psalm 59, 9, the Bible says, because of his strength, will I wait? For God is my defense. You know what waiting here caused the psalmist to realize? That in waiting, I find who true strength comes from. I find I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to get all worked up. I don't have to try to, try to build my own defenses. My defense comes from the Lord, and, and it's in him do I find my strength. And it only comes in waiting. But waiting can be difficult. The psalmist also said this in Psalm 69.3, I'm weary of my crying. How many of you have been there? You're, you've cried so much, you're tired of crying. Listen, maybe, maybe some of you are there. There's something you're waiting on. It might be a prayer request. It might be a need in your home. It might be a need in your children's life. It might be a need in your parents' life. It might, it might be a financial need or need at work, but there's a need that you're waiting on and you've cried and you're weary of crying. He says, my throat is dried. My eyes fail. But what does he say? While I wait on the Lord, my God. You see, the result of that is this. Waiting is difficult. Your eyes are weary of crying. Your throat is dried. Your eyes seem like you can't even see anymore because of the tears that are coming through. But he learned that I'm going to wait upon the Lord. And it was the Lord that said this in Isaiah 40, 31. But they that wait upon the Lord, what? Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. That all comes from what? Waiting on on the Lord. You see, there's a prize for waiting on the Lord. So today I find this, that the Apostle Paul, in chapter number 25, he's at a place. 
It's a difficult place, but he's in God's will and he's waiting. And I close with this. Number two, would you please write this down? In the will of God, it may also appear your enemy is in control. Look with me in Acts chapter 24 again. The last verse of chapter 24, verse number 27. When Festus comes to Felix. What's it say? And Felix, the last part of that verse. And Felix willing to show the Jews what? Pleasure. Left Paul bound. Look with me in verse number 9 of chapter 25. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure. Felix is leaving Paul bound because he's willing to please the Jews. It looks like Paul's enemies are winning. It looks like they're in control. Things look hopeless. And then Festus comes, and and Festus should let Paul go because Paul's done nothing wrong. And and it says this, Festus says, I'm I'm willing to to, uh, uh, listen to uh, what Paul has to say and listen to what the Jews have to say because I want to pleasure these Jews also. You know, sometimes we're in the will of God, it requires waiting. And sometimes even in God's will, it seems like the enemies are in control. I want to remind you of King David. There was a little shepherd boy, David, who's minding his own business. He's there caring for the sheep there for his father. And Samuel comes and he's looking to anoint a king. And David wasn't even trying to become king. He wasn't even in the house. He was just simply caring for his father's sheep. And he goes one by one from oldest all the way down to the youngest. And and he says to to Jesse, nope, this isn't the one. And this isn't the one. And this isn't the one. There's got to be another son. Oh, but the only one left is David. But he's out in the field caring for the sheep go get him David comes into the house and Jesse sees him and he says or or Samuel sees him and he says that's the one he anoints David there with oil and David is anointed going to be the king of Israel David didn't seek it it was Jesse that called David and said, David, I want you to go visit your brother and give them a little bit of this food. They're at a battle with the Philistines and, and I want you to go check on them and just make sure they're okay and, and, and uh, give them this gift basket from me. Let them know that I love them and I'm thinking about them. And David goes and it wasn't David seeking to, to uh, uh, fight a giant that day, but he sees this giant standing there defying the God of Israel. And he says, there's gotta be a cause. Is there not a cause? I, I've got to do something about this. David becomes sought after by King Saul. David has to leave his home and his family has to leave their home and everything David knows, he has to go on a run. He doesn't have a, a country anymore. He's running through and he's hiding in caves and he's, he's weary and he's in God's will, but he's tired. And he finally says, you know what? It seems that I'm going to die by the hand of Saul. It's better for me to go in the land of the Philistines. David removes himself and goes in the land of Philistines because he got weary. But it's the psalmist that says that by waiting on the Lord, my strength was renewed. It was by waiting on the Lord is when I realized who my defenses were. I think about Moses. It seemed like Moses, this man that uh, uh, stuttered when he spoke, he's going to take on Pharaoh and the mighty Egyptian army. And he's never led a person before. He's never led a people before. He's never led a nation before. And it's God that comes to him through that burning bush and says, I want you to go to the mightiest king in all of the world. And I want you to tell him to let my people go, Moses. 
And Moses goes. Remember, Moses, he goes there, and it seems like the, the, uh, uh, every time the, a plague is done, Pharaoh hardens his heart. It seems like the enemy is always going to win, but I want you to realize this, that, that uh, Satan will always have you think that you've lost. Oh, listen to me, Christian. We might see the, the news today. We might see the headlines today, and we might think, you know what? It's difficult to be a Christian. It looks like the enemy is in control. It looks like the enemy is winning, but I want you to know that the end is not here yet. But oh, my friend, the end is written. I want you to go to Revelation with me. Would you turn there? I want you to turn to Revelation chapter number 20. Stay with me, please, because it may appear like the enemy is in control. It may appear like Satan is having a heyday. It might seem like Christians may be under persecution. It may seem like the church is going to be, it's going to be difficult. But I want you to remind you that the Bible still says that the Lord said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want you to remind you in Revelation chapter number 20, John is there in this island of Patmos. And he's writing the book of Revelation. He's seeing into the future. He said, I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the uh, dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him. He should not, uh, that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God in which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Oh, listen to me. It may be seem at that moment when they were going to be beheaded because they weren't taking the mark. It may seem like the antichrist and the devil was in control, but we find here that Satan Satan was taken and he was bound for a thousand years. And those that stood when it seemed like the devil was in control, they now are in the presence of Jesus Christ. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath in the, his first resurrection on such. The re, uh, second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Oh, listen to me. It may seem, it may seem, it may appear like the enemy is in control, but there's coming a day where Jesus is going to establish his kingdom upon this earth for a thousand years and we are going to reign with him. You say, what happens after that thousand years? I'm glad you asked. In verse number seven, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Uh-oh. And he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. It seems like he's in control. Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sands of the sea. And when they went upon the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire in brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Oh, listen to me, Christian. It might seem like the devil's having a heyday with your life. 
It might seem like he is in control and you're losing this battle. It might seem like your prayers aren't being answered. It might seem like this Christian life is difficult and weary. It might be that you're in a place where you just say, God, I I believe I'm in your will, but it just seems like nothing is happening. It seems like the enemy is in control. It seems like the, the wicked are being blessed. It seems like they're getting ahead. It seems like I can't do anything, Lord, right. But I want you to know there's a day coming that Satan is going to be bound, that Satan is going to be placed in in cast. That's not politely, hey, Satan, will you go, please, into the lake of fire? No, that's taking him up by the back of his belt loop and tossing him, casting him into the lake of fire. He doesn't have a choice. Our God wins. Listen to me, it may appear your enemy is in control. Paul, it may seem like Felix and Festus and the Jews are in control, but there's coming a day that God is going to show who is in control. I want you to see in uh, Revelation 21, look there just to, over uh, again. And I saw in verse number one, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he shall dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God and God shall wipe away all of their tears from their eyes. Oh, listen to you, those that say, like the psalmist said, I've cried so much that my, my eyes can't dry again cry anymore. I'm, I'm dry from crying. My throat hurts from crying and, and yelling out to God. There's coming a day that God is going to wipe away every tear from your eye. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are what? They're passed away. You know what that means? Jesus wins. Oh, it may seem like the devil's in control. I want you to look with me in Revelation 22. Look with me in verse number 12. And behold, I come quickly. Your redemption draweth nigh. He says, my reward is with me. You may be here on this earth and say, I feel like there's just no reward. I feel like there's no hope. I feel like there's just no rest. I, I, feel, like, I, I, I feel like I'm just, just getting covered more and more. It just seems like the enemy just continues to win. I want you to know something. Jesus says, behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Jesus said this, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and last. Verse number 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root of the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Well, listen, you might be like Paul in a jail cell today waiting. It may seem like the enemy has control, but this isn't the end. Oh, there may be churches that are being closed up today and fines and pastors put in jail for, for gathering. There may be Christians that have, had, were singing outdoors and were placed in handcuffs. But I want you to know, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is in control. Oh, the story isn't ended. And when the story does end, Jesus Christ, he is going to rule and he is going to reign. My friend today, don't get weary. 
Some of you are going through the battles of your life. Don't get weary. Wait upon the Lord. Wait upon him. Father, Lord, I know I'm speaking to hurting people today. Lord, I know I'm speaking. There's Janelle that'll go in for surgery this week. She doesn't know what the doctor is going to say, what, she, what the doctor finds. Lord, may she wait upon you for strength. Lord, there's some that are battling other health issues. I think of Doug Davison. It seems like it's in the doctor's hands. Oh, God, this is in your hands. There's some here today, they aren't sure what's going to happen at work this week. There's some that are weary in their marriage. Or maybe there's some that they've got a request, they're praying. Maybe, maybe there's a young person praying, God, give me a friend. Lord, they need to learn that the greatest friend that they'll ever have is in Jesus Christ. May they find rest in you. Maybe there's a young person praying about school, college. It seems overwhelming. Well, God, may they rest in you. So, Lord, I pray today, would you strengthen the weary heart? Would you be their defense? Would you be their helper? May we remind us often that even though the enemy looks like he's winning, Lord, the end has already been written. And you win. And therefore we win. As we continue our invitation this morning, just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a minute. This morning you were challenged and God is pricking hearts this morning. And there's areas that he's working in your heart where you are struggling to wait on him. You're begging for God to come through. This morning, I just want to challenge you to give that to him and ask him to help you to wait. But also this morning, Maybe as you're checking your heart, you're saying, I don't have a relationship with God to be able to allow him to step into my life and help me as I go through problems and difficulties. And this morning, we want to give you that hope. We want to introduce you to Jesus and allow you to step into a relationship with him. And it is really easy to do because Jesus did all of the work for us. You see, as you heard in the message this morning, he is coming back, which means he was here at one time. And when he was here, he died on the cross for our sins. 
He was buried and he rose again three days later to pay the penalty so you and I don't have to be separated from God. And today you have the opportunity to begin that relationship. And all that it is, is believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. And this morning we heard the scriptures that have told us that Jesus is coming back. And this morning, if you would like to begin a relationship with, with God, all you have to do is say a prayer like this. And it's not the prayer, it's not the words, it's not anything magical that happens. It is you confessing your faith in a savior and putting that faith in him. And if you say something like this, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. I believe that you died on the cross and paid the penalty for my sin and rose from the dead three days later. Today, I am placing my faith and trust in you alone to forgive my sin and to give me the gift of eternal life. God, thank you for saving me. Now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, is there anybody this morning who would say, Pastor Chris, Today, I prayed that prayer. Today, I began my relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you just slip your hand up? There's nobody looking around, just me. I just want to be able to pray for you and with you and thank God for you taking that step of faith this morning. Just slip your hand up and put it down. Father, today, what a challenge it was for us to learn to rest in you. And Father, I pray that you will help us as we go through this week and face the challenges that come across our path. Lord, that we would constantly rest and go back to today and the decisions we've made today to rest in you. So Father, we pray that you will just seal this message in our heart. And Lord, if there is one who has received you as their savior today, Lord, I pray that they'll come and let us know so that we can rejoice with them. Father, thank you for allowing us to be in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the things that we truly enjoy and we value here at our church is church membership. And oftentimes we have people come and we've had uh, several families join us while we've been here in the tent. And this morning we have another family that wants to join with us. And so uh, Tom and Kelly Chanu, Tom and Kelly are here. and They're gonna come forward here. Um, Where's Mike? Mike's going to come stand with you so you don't have to be here all by yourself. Uh, but Tom and Kelly have been coming for, to our church for a couple of years. And uh, so we're just excited that they want to take this step and join with us. They're coming from a church of like faith. And uh, so their salvation baptism is, has been checked out. And uh, they're, uh, they, they are excited to join. And we're excited to have them join. And so all we want to do is if you're a member of our church, if you would help us to vote them into church membership. So all in favor of Tom and Kelly joining us, would you say amen? All right. And I told them we were going to have people say, if you don't want, but uh, we're not going to do that this morning. Uh, we're, we're glad that they're here. And so if you want to come up and greet them after the service and just welcome them, welcome them into our church body. And if you would like to join our church, uh, you can see pastor, you can see myself, any of the staff, the deacons, 
Uh, and we'd be glad to show, with, show you what the next steps are for you to join our church and be a, a member of Monclova Road Baptist Church. So let's end our service today in a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful and grateful for our church. Thankful for the opportunity we have to be in this place. And Father, we pray that you will just encourage our hearts. Lord, as we face problems and difficulties this week, that you would be with us and we would rest in you. Father, take us from this place and bring us back again next week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.